series. Here's why. We're going to look at issues that are uh, contentious or maybe not even that, but debated that are that are in the forefront of our culture, in the forefront of, of our minds. So the next three weeks, we're going to be, going to be looking at these issues. They're going to be today. This morning, we're going to look at race, racial uh, issues that, that, uh, and how the Bible addresses them. So race and the gospel is what I'm calling it. Race and the gospel next week, we're going to look at sexuality, primarily homosexuality, also uh, pornography, those sorts of things. That's going to be next week. And the, then the, the last week, we're going to look at, at abortion. And uh, Tam, Mary Jo actually told me a, a, a statistic this week uh, from Barna, and it blew me away. Uh, of all the abortions that have happened, that have taken place in the, our country, uh, four out of ten uh, abortions were, let me see, how do I explain this? Four out of ten women who have had an abortion had it while they were active in a church. Four out of ten in our country were active in a church when they had an abortion. And I can guarantee they did not find help, they did not find hope, they did not find healing there. And so we're going to address it. And that's kind of kind of gives you an insight of the angle I'm going to take on it. So those are the three topics. Um, I'll pray here in just a second, and you can leave for three weeks if you want. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, <clears throat> but that's what we're going we're gonna to look at. Now, the question you should ask, I would ask if I were sitting where you're at, is why in the world would you do that? Why, why discuss it? Why discuss these issues in particular? And here's why I want to do it. Because I believe, and I think the Bible will back up, that these are gospel issues. Our culture, our, polit- our politicians, our political climate have hijacked them and have used them, leveraged them for the sake of votes and for the sake of influence. But they cannot answer the problems that they, are, that they bring up. They can't answer them. Politics, the political climate, the Capitol and the White House cannot answer And the Supreme Court, if you want to add them in there, cannot answer the problems that that arise from these topics. They do not have the answer that is healing for our souls when it comes to these topics the gospel does. These are gospel issues. And so that's why we we want to address them. If you're, if you're hoping that this is going to be a fun political argument, and I'm going, to, I'm going to back up your view, it's going to be a disappointing series, I promise. It's going to be a gospel series, because these are gospel issues. So, with that as a backdrop, I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we live at a time when our heaters work great. Lord, I pray as we come and we look at your word on this very touchy issue of race, Lord, I pray that we would see that this is a gospel issue because only the gospel answers and deals with this issue in a way that has healing for all of our souls. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I finished third grade, my parents packed up the family car and moved us from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I was waiting for Lauren to give me a shout out. That's where she's from. Broken Arrow, Oklahoma to Hampton, Virginia. Hampton's uh, in the southeast corner of the state of Virginia, right in between Virginia Beach and Williamsburg. We packed up the family car and headed out east. When I got there, even as a young third, fourth grader, I, I was amazed at how much more diverse Hampton was than the city that I had just left. I would come to find out later on that Hampton, where I call home, where I grew up, uh, is basically 50-50. 50, well, 50% white, about 40-45% African American, and then about 5% other, the rest of the world. So I grew up, I call home, a very, very diverse uh, city. In fact, uh, my friends have told me, I haven't been back in a while, my friends have told me that actually African Americans make up the majority of the city now. So it's a, it's a very diverse city. Well, I uh, noticed that even as a young child, a relatively young young child, I, I could sense that this city was different diversity-wise than the city that I had left. Well, shortly after we got there, um, I don't remember exactly how long. It may have been a year or two. It may have been even less than that. I don't remember exactly. But I, 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 shortly after we got there, uh, a, a junior in high school by the name of Alan Iverson, if you don't know sports, he is uh, an NBA, or was, he's retired now, was an NBA player, probably will go to the Hall of Fame at some point, very, very good uh, basketball player. Well, he was a junior in high school at the time that this occurred. He was a, a junior in high school. He and his friends, African-American friends, went to a bowling alley one night and got into a fight, got into a confrontation with some, some white uh, students, some, a group of white friends at this bowling alley. And you can go look up ESPN 3030. They have a story on it. I don't want to get into the details, but here's what I do remember as a, as a young elementary school, maybe a little bit older than that, don't remember exactly, kid. I, had never, I remember that I had never sensed that I had never been a part of racial tension like was in our city as a result of this altercation at a bowling alley. Uh, the, 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 the racial lines were drawn in Hampton, Virginia. And there was a much tension between the, the, the races in this very diverse city. I remember it distinctly. It's the first experience and probably the most um, tension I've ever had in my life um, when it comes to race. Well, I don't have to do much to convince you that that kind of tension has now made it onto the national scene in the last few years. Race has become an issue in our country. And one side of the aisle says it's because of this reason, and another side of the aisle says it's because of that reason, and people in the Midwest say it's because of one reason, and people on the coast say it's because of another reason. And in the midst of all of this, Chaos in the midst of the fog, in the in the midst of he said and she said, the Bible shouts or maybe speaks softly. This is not a political or a cultural issue. This is a gospel issue. Or maybe stated better, this is a misunderstanding 
of the gospel issue. And so, with that as a backdrop, the Bible gratefully, thankfully, speaks directly to this issue. In Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I want to I kind of set up what's going on in this text, and then uh, we'll jump into it, and hopefully see and show what the gospel says about race um, for all of time, not just America in the 21st century. Well, what's going on here is, if you remember, back in Acts, the church is born. Jesus dies, he rises, and he says, hey, uh, apostles, I want you to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. And that's exactly what begins to happen. Well, for chapter 7, if you remember from this past summer when we walked through this book, uh, Stephen is preaching the gospel, and the result is that he is stoned for it. He's stoned and killed. Well, the result of that stoning is that the believers, these Christians, although they're not called that yet, These believers, these followers of Jesus, scatter. They leave Jerusalem. Well, one of the places that they scatter to is this very beautifully diverse city called Antioch. In Antioch, Antioch's kind of a a, a, a multicultural center in the Roman Empire. It's 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 the city where everybody crosses. They'll cross, it's kind of a through city for the empire. So as a result, people from north, south, east, and west or at least traveling through there, many times staying for a certain amount of time as they move to their final destination, making Antioch a beautifully diverse city. People of all backgrounds, religious backgrounds, people of all racial backgrounds, people of all economic backgrounds, people from all cultural backgrounds have descended on this melting pot, beautifully diverse melting pot of a city known as Antioch. Well, some of these believers, these followers of Christ, have left Jerusalem to to escape persecution, persecution and landed in Antioch. And when they get there, they bring the gospel with them. And they begin sharing the good news that Jesus has died and he's risen again. And the result is a beautifully diverse Church is born. In fact, it's the most diverse church in all of the Bible. This beautifully diverse church is born. And as a result result of this, there are people from all different racial backgrounds, all different economic backgrounds, all different religious backgrounds that have come together and united under this banner or this umbrella of Christ, claiming Christ above any other um, uh, delineation. Or designation. They claim Christ above all of that. And the city of Antioch looks on with amazement. They see this beautifully diverse church. They see people of all racial backgrounds and cultural and economic backgrounds worshiping together. They see them standing, like we talked about last week, standing shoulder to shoulder with each other and helping when there's a need. And the city, the people of Antioch are amazed. So much so that Acts tells us that that they don't know what to call them. Because they they can't call them Jewish. 
They can't call them Gentiles. They can't call them wealthy. They can't call them poor. They can't call them white. They can't call them black because they are all of those things. And so Antioch doesn't know what to call them. The people of Antioch doesn't know what to call them. So they come up with a new word. They call them, Acts tells us for the very first time, Christianoi, Christianoi, Christian, the people of Christ. Well, this is going on in Antioch. Paul, if you remember, leaves and goes down to Jerusalem where they have this council. And they decide, what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be able to claim Christ, to be Christianoi, a follower of Christ, people of Christ? And they say it's by faith. If you, you remember, we had that, we talked about that when we were going through Acts. They said basically it is, it is faith based on God's grace. That was what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to be a person or people of Christ. Well, after that takes place, after that, that council takes place, Peter goes up to Antioch. He, he basically reciprocates this trip that Paul made down to Jerusalem. Paul, uh, Peter excuse me, comes up to where Paul is living and comes up to Paul's church and begins to, to, to fellowship there. Things are going great. Peter is having is joining in this, this multicultural community, this multicultural church, and is worshiping side by side um, with people of all race, economic, religious backgrounds. Everything's going well. Everything's going good. Until we get to verse 11. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Verse 11, chapter 2. Of Galatians says this. But when he, Cephas, or but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now that's not something you would expect to read in the Bible, right? I mean, that's awkward. That's pretty intense. In fact, I love this because a lot of times, at least in here, it, for me personally, I can't speak for anybody else, I, I, um, uh, I believe that Christian is synonymous with nice. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, many times I believe that, that Christian is synonymous with nice. Paul shows us that is not the case. I love that. But when Peter showed up to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now before we jump into this, you have to remember that there are guidelines, there, there are, are uh, uh, boundaries, there's, there's uh, this, this uh, uh, instruction about how you confront a person in the Bible. And there, there was instruction at this time. It always, it was all, it's always known that as believers, when we have an issue with somebody, we confront privately first. And then we confront publicly. So while the text does, does not say this, we can, we can assume rather safely that Paul has already gone to this other apostle, Peter, and confronted him about this issue that he's going to bring up here in just a second. Paul has already gone to Peter in private and said, hey man, I've got an issue with something that you're doing, with something that's going on with you. And Peter does nothing about it, apparently. 
Because now it says that Paul goes to Peter and he confronts him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. What what did he stand condemned of? Well, the Bible goes on to tell us. Here's what it says. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, when they showed up in Antioch, when they left Jerusalem, came to Antioch, he drew back and separated himself. That There's a Greek term for drew back and separated. And it, it, it literally is this picture of, of gradually pulling away. It's almost like pulling off a band-aid slowly. And so here's what Paul tells us in his letter. He says, Peter shows up at Antioch. And he is in fellowship. He is standing side by side with this multicultural church. This diverse church. He's standing side by side with them. And he's, he's in community. He's in fellowship. He's worshiping alongside of them. He has become a part of the church in Antioch. He doesn't mind being seen with them. He doesn't mind fellowshipping with them. But then this group, this group of of Jewish people, probably men, show up from Jerusalem. Paul tells us nothing about it. He kind of cloaks them in secrecy, except for one thing. He outs this other apostle, James. He says, these guys that came from James, he's the one who needs to deal with them. I'm going to take care of Peter, basically. And so these guys show up, and when they show up, he begins to withdraw slowly from the church and the fellow believers of Antioch. And it makes Paul angry. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Ryan, Ryan Atten, he's a friend of mine. He grew up here in this area. Friends all over. I show up, I move in as an adult. And, I, and he and I become friends and we just decide, you know what, every Saturday night we're going to Hackett's Hot Wings. We're going to hang out there. Best place to eat in Joplin. We're going there. And we're going to hang out every Saturday night. Well, so we just begin to do that. He and I, we begin to go to Hackett's all, all, all the time. Uh, every Saturday night. We just hang out. We got this time. We always showing up to, we're always showing up together. Well, Brian, being from this area, and I did tell him I was using him as an example in case you're wondering, man, why is he out this guy? He knew it was coming, no problems. Um, uh, Ryan, his friends that he grew up with begin to find out that he has befriended an outsider, somebody who has come to, to Web City as an adult. And so I call him up, as is our custom, and I say, hey, man, you ready to go? Let's go, let's go have some dinner. Let's go hang out. And he goes, you know what? Not feeling good this week. I'll just see you tomorrow morning. All right, no problem. Then the next week I call him. And I say, hey man, let's go. Same time, same bat time, same bat place. He says, you know what? I got, I got a haircut this week. I'll see you tomorrow. And then the next week he's, he, 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 we meet. And then I I find out that the people that he grew up with here in in this community have began giving him a hard time for befriending an outsider. And so he begins to slowly push our friendship away. That's exactly what is going on here. 
Peter, an apostle, Peter, this, this man that this church looks up to, has, has, is, is doing life with, walking side by side with. They see him when his friends show up. The, the good Jewish people, when they show up in Antioch, he begins, they begin, or uh, excuse me, Peter begins to do the pushback. And these are real people with real lives affected by Peter's racism. The story continues. It says, uh, back, back to verse 12. For before certain men from Je- came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Verse 13. At one point, before we go on, it says that he fearing the circumcision party. This is the first, um, this is the first inkling or the first um, glimpse that we get from Paul that this is not a political issue. This is not a cultural issue. Why? Because the gospel, when it comes in, when it, it infiltrates our lives, when it when it becomes the banner over our life, one of the things that the gospel demands is that we have nothing to fear. We don't have anything or anybody to fear except for God. God says to fear Him. But the gospel demands, the gospel proclaims, the gospel shouts that we have nothing else to fear. And yet, Paul says that he feared people. He forgot whom he belonged to. He forgot the the gospel. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He says, this, this this began to move like cancer among the Jews. So much so that even my buddy, even Barnabas, even the one that I could depend on, this is Paul talking, even the one I could depend on was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is getting bad at this church in Antioch. But when I saw... Verse 14, that their, conduct, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I observed the way that they were acting. And I saw that it was not in line. It was not in step with the gospel. Paul is saying that this is not a political or a cultural issue. Race and tensions that come from it are gospel issues. And more specifically, they're not in line with the gospel. What difference does that make? It makes all the difference in the world. Here's why. When they're political or cultural issues, actually when they're issues that are anything other than gospel issues, when there's an issue that is anything other than a gospel issue, it deals with the exterior, it deals with the surface. But Paul says, this is not a surface issue, this is not an exterior issue, this is a heart issue. And so Paul goes below the surface, he goes to the heart, and he says, racism is a gospel issue. 
and it must never, ever, ever happen by people who align themselves with Christ. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is this, that God, before time ever began, began to create. And he created and it was good, and he created and it was good. And then he got to people. And he created you and I. He created us. And he created us specially. He he created us in his image. We bear his image. Imago Dei. We bear his image. Every color, every creed, every background, every single person, from a 100-year-old to somebody to a baby that's still in the womb, is an image bearer of God himself. Imago Dei. Red, yellow, black, and white. All are image bearers. Let me see if I can illustrate what this means. At our house, Smith House, there's me and Mary Jo, Grayson, Molly Kate. In addition, we have the longest living goldfish I have ever known. <laughs> and a dog, black lab named Dodger. Now, suppose times were to get tough around, around the, the Smith House economically. I mean, really, really bad. Let me tell you one thing that I would not do. I would not go to my book, my ledger book, look at how much each um, creature that lives in the house costs me. All right? I wouldn't go, all right, the goldfish is this much a year. Dodger, the dog, is this much a year. Molly Kate is this much. Um, uh, Grayson costs me this much. And Mary Jo costs me this much. And then decide, based on that, who gets booted out of the Smith house. I wouldn't do it. And now it's funny, yes, but here's why I wouldn't do it. Because they are not all equal intrinsically. They don't all have the same intrinsic value. Grayson may cost me the most. He's not getting thrown out if times are tough economically. The dog's going first. And the fish. Why? Because... I bear the image of God. Mary Jo bears the image of God. Grayson is an image bearer of the Creator. Molly Kate bears the image of God. We are image bearers. Imago Dei. That's where the gospel starts. Every color, every creed. Well, we as image bearers decided we could do it better. We could be a boss better than God. And so we turned our back on God and sinned. Well, as a result, God sent His Son, Jesus. He came to earth as a man. He died tragically. He rose victoriously. And He is resurrected eternally. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. There are no prerequisites other than faith. Whether you are red, you are yellow, you are black, or you are white, there are no prerequisites. 
as image bearers of God, to have a relationship with Him other than placing your faith in Him. I love this. Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians 2, 14 says it this way. Here, in this verse, we learn the truth of the gospel. We learn that the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is that we know this article well, that we teach it to others, and that we beat it into their heads continually. I love that. And so that's exactly what Paul is doing. And that's exactly what I'm going to do as long as I draw breath. I'm going to beat it into our heads continually. The city of Antioch, this beautifully diverse city, is looking on at this multicultural, diverse church who are doing life together, who are helping each other, who are worshiping together. So much so that they have to make up a word to describe them. And Paul says, I am not going to let another apostle, I'm not going to let Jewish, uh, a Jewish group of men come into this city and hurt the gospel. Put the gospel in jeopardy. Because we all bear the image of the Creator. And we come to him the same way. The story goes on. I said to Peter, before them all, this is beautiful. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet... We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Here's what he's saying. You stand under the banner of Christ. Your delineations, your segments, they all fall in comparison to who you are in Christ. Who you are in your identity with Christ. Everything else pales in comparison to your identity in Christ. So what? So what? This is where it was tough for me. Because here's the thing. If we're just being honest, we live in a rather monolithic community. I mean, it would be easy if I was, if we were, uh, you know, stationed in, in Hampton, Virginia, where I grew up. If we were, if we were rooted there, I could say, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to work endlessly. We're going to work tirelessly. To become more diverse. We're going to reach people with the gospel. We want, to, we want to look like the church in Antioch. And we're going to do whatever means necessary to make that happen. That's not where God has us. We're in a rather monolithic community at this point in time. And that's okay. Because God has ordained that. He's, he's placed us here for a purpose, for a reason. That's okay. So what do you do with this? 
What do you do with this text? And what do you do with this topic? I want to give you three quick things, and then I'm done. Number one is this. You've got to remember that your identity in Christ, if you know Christ this morning, your identity in Christ supersedes everything else. It supersedes your skin color. It supersedes your political affiliation. It supersedes your culture. Your identity in Christ supersedes everything else. Number two, whenever this issue comes on the TV screen, I want you to, along with me, to remember that this is a gospel issue. Only the gospel can answer this issue in a way that brings healing to our souls and brings healing to our nation. It is a gospel issue. And lastly, next to last, I got one more. Our diversity in worship and in culture, our diversity in skills and hospitality, Give us a fuller picture of the God we worship. Our differences culturally, our differences racially, are to be celebrated. Not scorned. Because it gives us a bigger, more beautiful picture of the God we worship. We worship, I put this in my notes. The God we worship is bigger than white, middle-class American culture. <laughs> and then lastly, and maybe the most, the, the, the most debated or confrontational, or, 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 or maybe I'll get the biggest pushback from this, but I really, truly believe it. The last conclusion, when, I, when dealing with this issue, in the Smith house, okay, this is in the Smith household, my last conclusion is this. It is more important to me as a dad that Molly Kate bring home a man that loves Jesus than the color of his skin. It is more important to me as a dad that Molly Kate bring home a man that loves Jesus with all of his heart and all of his mind and all of his strength than the color of his skin. Father, I thank you for this issue, and I thank you that it's a gospel one, because the gospel gives answers. It does not seek to divide for the sake of power. It seeks to heal a broken human heart, and only the gospel can do that. In Jesus' name we pray.